in the Pattern Podcast. Make left traffic, clear for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range, more Mike Alpha. Mark Tower, 172, Romeo Hotel, holding short on the 133, ready to take off. I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to episode 22 of the In the Pattern Podcast. Uh, uh, first, I'd like to say uh, thanks a lot to um, Rod Rakick from. Uh, from uh, Open Airplane last week for uh, joining us and uh, getting us all that information about Open Airplane. Um, I'm also glad to tell you that we've got everybody on uh, for the first time in a while, it seems like, uh, to the podcast. Uh, John, Mark, and Brad are all with us. How are you guys doing? Hey. Doing real well. Really good. Yeah, everything is uh, good in life right now, so glad to be on with you guys uh, all at the same time for a change. Um so anyways, we, uh, we kind of had a whole lot to go over uh, in episode 21, but uh, uh, Rod, was, Rod was with us, so we uh, um, left it for episode 22. So let's just kind of dive right into it. I know, uh, Brad, uh, you've been you know, doing a lot of things. Last episode, we, uh, we uh, talked about you uh, passing your check ride for your uh, instrument. Uh, have you got a chance to actually use it yet? No, I have not yet gotten my ticket wet. Um, maybe Monday. It's been uh, it's been a little tough. We've had a shortage of airplanes. We sold uh, one of ours. Did I talk about this? We sold one of our airplanes, and one of our uh, our arrow is in Grenada um, on a on a long trip, and our warrior is in the shop with a bad engine. So um, we've we've only got uh, uh, just a couple of uh, Dave, you know, or sort of VFR airplanes or they're VFR IFR, but um, we've got. Uh, two archers and uh, Cherokee six that are available to fly right now. And, uh, and it's spring and everybody wants to be up there. So it's, <laughs> it's been tough to get planes. It's so funny because, uh, uh, we've already been in the hundred, hundred degree range, uh, a, a few days and we're not even out of April yet. Uh, so I'm already thinking about, man, how early in the morning do I have to get up in order to get some smooth, cool air, you know? And for you guys, it's like, man, I'm finally tr- getting out there, and it's not freezing all the time. So, so strange. Right. We don't have to have the planes plugged in. We don't have to uh, do any of that weird stuff. It's, it's a lot nicer uh, to fly this time of year, but it, it means that everybody and his brother is out there doing it. So it was uh, – it, but – I, you know, I, I survived the check ride uh, despite having a lot of nerves uh, and fighting a lot of turbulence that day. It was, uh, it turned out okay. I, I actually have my, I, I found an app for uh, for iOS, and I think it's, I think it's on Android too, called Cloudahoy. And you turn it on when you uh, get in the plane, and it'll record your GPS track, and it'll even figure out which approaches you shot at which airports, and all that kind of interesting stuff. So I recorded it. And uh, you can see just how brutally ugly my uh, my flight was. <laughs> um, Cloud Ahoy, you say for uh, Android? Uh, I think they have Android. It, they certainly have I, iOS, and it, yeah, it's called Cloud Ahoy. Uh-oh. And it takes takes your GPS track and turns it into uh, um, 
basically a Google Earth, a CAML file that you can view on Google Earth, and, and they'll annotate it with the different approaches that you were shooting and, and the nav aids that you were near. So it's pretty slick. Cool. I have to go check that and out. And the best part of all was that uh, April 30th would be two years since I got my private pilot's license. BFR. And uh, since I took my <laughs> check ride. <laughs> what? Yes, exactly. Since I took my check ride in April, on April 5th, I don't need to take my BFR for two more years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. That rating. So if I get my commercial in two years, then I can stretch it out that much further. Mm-hmm. Well, they say, Although it's unlikely I'll have the hours in two years to get my commercial. Yeah. Well, they say the IFR is the toughest one to get of the bunch. Well, and except for except I for hope so. except for maybe uh, the uh, the instructor, uh, that's kind of a bear. But yeah. but uh, I hope the IFR is the toughest one. Yeah. Um. Uh. I I'm I don't know if I've ever asked you. Have you, have you ever flown the uh, that Cherokee Six? I haven't flown the six. I've flown in my instructor's Saratoga, which is just a retractable gear six, mm-hmm. uh, a, f- a few times. But I haven't uh, sat in the in the left seat. Actually, I haven't even gotten stick time in it. He's a little he's a little selfish with the stick <laughs> on his own plane. <laughs> That's no way to be for a plane owner. <laughs> exactly, um, but it's it's nice. I mean, it, you can carry anything. You can close the doors on. Uh, it's it there. It's big. It's got a lot of room. You can put bikes in the back of it, and uh, you can go a, you know a pretty long ways. Yeah, that, I think it's. I think it holds ninety six gallons. Wow, that would be expensive to fill completely up if you if you did a cross country to where you had to do a complete refill. Ouch. Um, 16, 16 gallons an hour. Oh, wow, wow. Um, I know that on one of those Alaska flying shows, I can't remember which one it is, but there's that girl who flies that red one. And, um, I mean, that one time she took like, I don't know, 10 sled dogs with her and um, she's hauling all kinds of gear in and out of that. Take take the seats out, you know, and fill it up. Yeah, it's nice. It's an extra eight inches wider than a normal Cherokee. Oh. So you get a little bit more shoulder room in it. Um, and of course there's an extra row of seats in the back, mm-hmm. uh, as well as there's a, a luggage space up in front of the, between the, uh, between the cockpit and the engine, there's a, a spot for luggage. So there's, you can put a lot of stuff in one of those planes. Nice. Nice. After you get, after you get your instrument ticket, every, you know, I guess everyone's like aching to finally use it without an instructor and go take a family for a ride through Inclement weather? <laughs> Maybe yeah, not. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I um, I certainly have a certain amount of trepidation to it. I, I definitely want my first ride to get my ticket wet to, to be solo, just so that I'm not worried about passengers and, and anybody with upset tummies or anything like that. Um, it, it, just so I can kind of get it out of my system. And then we'll see. Uh, I don't. I think I'm the only one who's anxious to actually go in the clouds. I think the rest of my family would just assume it was clear in a million. Yeah. Um, and and to be honest, I mean, the, the, there's a risk to it, right? You sure. Don't, you don't want to fly into IMC if you don't have to, but uh, but it's nice to have the option. It, it sort of makes long distance traveling a lot simpler. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, my my buddy Keith, who has a Cirrus. Um, he, he also has his instrument ticket, and he says that uh, 
flying for for business or wherever if he's got to go down to Southern California. When he files, he just he just now he just files IFR even on a, on a beautiful VFR day because the way that he's handled is so much more efficient um, that it it just makes it it easier to get in and out of places. Yeah, I think it's certainly a lot easier procedurally to to move around. I think there are times it's nice to be VFR um, if you're near a class Bravo airspace, you can just say, well, I'm just going to go over the top of it. Uh, which they won't normally route you IFR. They'll they'll make you go around. So there's there's pros and cons to it for sure. But uh, you know, for long distance traveling, yeah, it's it's a nice way to fly because you really don't have to worry about airspace. You don't have to. You can kind of get yourself on autopilot and just follow what they're telling you. We had a new member in our uh, in our cap squadron that that uh, is a is an ATP and. Uh, he actually had some trepidations about about getting checked out in the 172 and actually having to fly VFR again. He's like, I I, I don't know how I could do that um, because I'm always told where to go. I'm told <laughs> right. what to do, how fast to fly. You know, I've got checklists that I need to follow, and he, he's just so in that routine that you know, flying a a, a a 172 or a 182, he's like, oh my god, I got to think about how to fly. He feels you know? he feels safe, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and and, and that's the, it's, it's completely different flying. Well, that's the exact same mindset that I had about flying in a in a in a towered airport or not. I I <laughs> you know I got used to flying at Deer Valley, and when I went to go fly to these non-towered airports, I felt like an idiot uh, because you know I I didn't know how to speak the language you know as well as I did at a towered airport. Number one, and plus, um, you know. Uh, People could be coming from any direction, uh, entering the pattern and whatnot, and you know you don't really have any control. And at the Tower Airport, I felt very so safe and comfortable because I knew they had their eyes on me and everybody else. Yeah, it, I had almost the opposite experience. The the airport that I flew out of for my primary was was non-towered as a little grass strip, and but the the airport where I did most of my practice landings was a towered field that was right nearby, just a few miles away. And the the thing that was was odd for me, my first solo, you know, the instructor, we fly over there, we do a couple trips around the pattern, he says, okay, signs the endorsement, and he hops out of the plane. That was the very first time I had ever talked to ground control. Mm. Was by yourself? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and so before he gets out of the plane, I'm like, what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm definitely a little nervous about going back into a non-towered airport only because, as Chris was saying, I'm going to have a lot more aircraft to deal with, especially where I'm going to be, to not have it be a tower field. Plus, they're all coming from the same direction because there's a cutout for a Bravo right next to the airport. The actual, the airport actually sits in a cutout of the Bravo with a 1,500-foot um, floor of the Bravo airspace directly above it. So everyone's coming from basically the southwest, period. So, well, at least you know where to look. Yeah, true. I do at least know where to look, but I, I I'm kind of going to miss having the tower there. Uh, but also in in uh, what Mark was saying about the, you know, just using the IFR all the time, I can say that is a lot nicer down here. If I had it, I would do it a lot more, only because of the SFRA. Yes, because I'm already essentially flying IFR without the separation. I have to follow a flight plan. I have to call them up. I'm doing all the talking. I'm doing everything I would normally do on an IFR plan with them. 
except they're just not providing separation. So you might as well just get the separation if you're already doing all the work. Yeah, it, it, there's a. I mean, there's the downside of the separation part too, which is you can't get. You know, they they will put you in a hold or they'll make you do weird things when there's other planes around. Um, but uh, depending on what what the type of trip is, yeah, it can be very advantageous, uh, especially to penetrate through a Bravo or or to go in and out of like a Cifra or something like that, where um, where they're you're going to be controlled anyway. Yeah, and and down here you're dodging so much crap anyway. Um, it'd probably be nicer just to be on the IFR because then you have the ability to maybe go through a Bravo where you wouldn't normally on a VFR plan. But even if they root you all around the place, you're going to be doing that anyway. So, John, what have you been up to? Uh, I have been uh, joining a flight club. Um, I just joined the Fort Meade Flying Activity out of uh, Tipton Airport, um, KFM. Yes, uh, I'm officially a member uh, I've just been waiting, basically waiting to get a call from a, a flight instructor uh, to go get checked out. Um, I got an email last night from one of their CFIs, and she was like, send me an email if you want to set something up. And I was like, I'm down. Let me know when you're available. So just waiting to get back from her, hear back from her, and I'll be setting up a, uh, a checkout. What was that airport code? Uh, KFME. That's uh, Foxtrot Mike Echo. Cool. Okay. Yep. So it's right, right on the uh, southwestern edge of the uh, BWI class Bravo, um, in between the freeze and the and the Bravo there. Oh, okay. So deep in the SFRA, I'm back in the SFRA again, <laughs> but back. Uh, it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> uh, I have the option of of one seventy two P's, so they will be a uh, um, car peat. I'll be back to car peat. If I fly those, um, they're like 89 an hour if you do block time and block time is like $300 in an account. And as long as you have money to cover the flight in the account, you get the 10% off. Nice. Um, nice. As long as you keep putting in $300, you're good. It's like really cheap. Uh, my other option, and I may do this, um, is a, uh, T41, which is the military version of the 172. Uh, I believe these are 68s, somewhere in 1968, 1969-ish, sometime in that area, I think. Mm -hmm. They are fuel-injected, but they're 220 horsepower. That's crazy. Awesome. Uh, They fly slower than the 172, but you can take, like, like a 1,000-pound useful load. Huh. Oh, that's nice. So, how does the math work out on that? It's got more horsepower, and it's slower, but, of course, you know, obviously with the bigger engine, you can haul more. I understand that, but... uh, what makes it slower? Yeah, so it's a six-cylinder, six so you've got a little more weight you're hauling. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Also, the the front of the aircraft is actually a little wider. The cow is the surface area of the cowling is a lot bigger than the 172. Um, it it kind of, I guess, the aircraft is a lot more like a 182 than a 172. Um, I think it has a cow flaps and everything like that, uh, but it's still a you know fixed pitch. You know, welded gear, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, it um, just because the surface area just it's like five knots slower in the 172. A little more draggy. A little more drag. <laughs> but you get the useful load out of it. Is really what you're getting out of the engine. Yeah. You take so take a full load with baggage. Yeah, you can actually legitimately take four people. Mm-hmm. And they have one of them that they actually took the back row out of seats, so it's a two seater. <laughs> okay. 
so that one probably, I mean, that thing apparently climbs like crazy, like heavily loaded. You're getting 2000 feet a minute on climb out. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. So we'll see. I still got to go talk with the instructor. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of studying and getting my checklist in order. Um, then I took, I redid the SFRA class. I didn't have to, but I wanted to do it anyway. What's the, uh, what's the, um, renewal on that like, or what's required? Uh, there is no renewal. Essentially, all that's required is you have to take a 30-minute course on the, um, uh, I think it's the FAST website, actually. It's, it's one of the FAA courses, like, you get for Wings credit. Uh-huh, right. I remember you so talking you about it or- originally. It's an online course. Uh. Yeah, it's an online, it's essentially a PowerPoint. It's 28 minutes, and then you take a short 20-question quiz at the end. Uh, and I think you can retake the quiz as many times as you want, and essentially, once you pass the quiz, you get a little certificate, you print it out, and you have to keep it with you. Oh, yeah. So I have a printout in my flight bag, and I have a copy of it in ForeFlight. So that's really all you need. And you need that if you're flying within 60 nautical miles of the DCA um, VOR. So do the uh, the towers ask you about uh, your SFRA clearance um, or anything like that? Uh, or do they just assume you have it, and if you get ram-checked and you don't, you're you know up the creek without the paddle? Or what's the deal on that? Well, essentially, once you're in the, you know, you're at the airport or whatever, it's um, if you get ramp checked, they might check for it. Um, other than that, when you call in and get a brief, you actually, when they ask you, um, you know, what you're doing, it's like, hey, I want to stay in a briefing, you know, out of wherever to wherever. They're like, okay, are you familiar with the DC special flight rules area, effective, whatever the last date of change was? Um, so every time I call to get a brief, they always ask me that, and I just say yes, and then we move on. Okay. Uh, the difference is, is if I'm actually flying inside the SFRA, I need to file a separate SFRA flight plan. That's um, that's that's what I was missing. I, I remember that now. Okay. So what that entails is, is when I call up for a brief, I'll just say, "Hey, I'd like to file an SF, SFRA flight plan." Um, all that is, is it's where I'm starting and where I'm ending inside the SFRA. So if I'm leaving the SFRA, it's actually whatever gate I leave out of, because there's a couple gates around the, the circle. Because uh, the SFRA is from DCA 30 miles out in a big circle um, from the VOR. Uh, so they have, like, gates on the chart. If you actually look at the chart, you'll see, like, the Lucky Gate, the, um, um, I forget, Woolly Gate. There's a couple other ones. Um, so you say, you know, I'm out of... FME, I'm leaving out of the Woolly Gate or something like that. Or I'm going FME to FME over deal, you know, if I'm doing flight training over deal and going back. Um, so they basically, it's to keep track of all my stuff inside the, S- inside the SFRA. Um, then what happens is before I take off, if I'm taking off out of inside the SFRA at a non-towered field, I'm going to call them up. Uh, how I used to do it was just, you call them up on the telephone, say, hey, I like a squat code. Um, they give you a squat code. You go ahead, start it up, take off. You have to be you have to be squawking that code before you take off. Take off, and then as soon as you leave the pattern, you call up the tux and approach, and you say, you know, I'm here, I'm with you, flying to wherever. And they'll just be like, all right, we got you, and that'll be it. That's just like an IFR departure exactly. from a non-towered field. So uh, if you're at a towered field, um, they'll give you the squawk code when you call them up. But, yeah, that's it. It's just a discrete squat code. You're talking to Patuxent Approach, and that's it. When you go to enter the SFRA again, you just call them 15 miles out like you would if you're entering a class delta and say, 
you know, I'm 15 miles out of this gate at this location. You know, we'd like to enter the SFRA and they'll give you a squawk code. You squawk it and they'll let you know when you can come in. So there's not a whole lot to it. Cool. Um, if I'm doing pattern work, then, you know, basically I do the same thing with the squawk code. I just don't have to talk to the Patuxent approach. Um, as long as I stay in the pattern, I just have to call them and close my flight plan when I land. So it's not too bad. Just one more thing you kind of have to do, but it's worth it because I'll be in the air soon. Very nice. Looking forward to hearing about it. Yeah. So that's it for me. Well, I'll I'll save the rest for later. (laughs) So, Mark. Yeah, you've been up. Aviation-wise, I haven't done anything except listen to a lot of podcasts and tweet a whole lot. Um, You're in the same boat as me, just I'm without the tweeting as much. Yeah, it's it's it kind of. It, I'll just be blunt. You can you can air horn me. It just really blows. <laughs> uh, my my youngest is Jones and they to get some stick time too and, and and start taking lessons. Although she's she's just about to turn fourteen, so she's uh, ahead of the game. Um, hang on, hang on. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, so she'll be turning fourteen on Saturday, and she wants to she wants to start taking lessons and I'm just not ready for her to take lessons yet, especially since uh, we have a lot of friends that are involved in organizations that have scholarships available and she can't officially get a scholarship until she's 16 as well as she's not allowed to solo until she's 16. Um, But uh, that's not preventing her from being on my, on my case every day. I want to go fly. (laughs) Um, So we have a lot of traffic overhead and I'm like looking at him going, you're just doing it just to make me mad. <laughs> but uh, no, actually, uh, I was actually in the, the San Francisco Bay Area two weeks ago on business, and I and I met up with um, uh, his his online name is uh, Blue Sky Gray Sky. Um, his name is uh, Mark Santa Rose. Mark, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Um, but uh, we had we met at Starbucks, uh, had coffee. He is a uh, he's retired Air Force. Uh, he's a technical writer. He's a CFI, um, and uh, just a really nice guy. Um, he he was trying to talk me into getting you know getting back in the air too. And I was like, well, I have a few things that I've got to take care of, and uh, before you know financially that I I have to do, but. Uh, He's one of the four guys in the Bay Area that are also on Twitter, and we've uh, managed to arrange a a, a tweet up meetup at Half Moon Bay in July. So hopefully, you know, John will have this done by July, and we'll, we can get more people from from the from the Northern California area to to meet us. Um, so anyway, that's going to be July fifteenth at about four o'clock. Um, it'll be Captain Ron has confirmed. Um, Scrapyard Sound uh, with his, that's his online name, uh, and uh, then Mark, Blue Sky, Gray Sky. I'm going to fly down with my buddy Keith and his Cirrus. Um, it, it took all of about a, a, a twisting of his finger to get him to, to agree. I just <laughs> sent him a te- I sent him an email. I'm like, hey, do you want to fly down to Half Moon Bay for a meetup with some guys that I know from online? He's like, hey, wait, let me think about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> nice. So that's one of his favorite places that he, that he takes his wife anyway. So, so when is that's, it? On the, uh, that's on the Pacific side of uh, San Francisco, right? 
Correct. I've seen. Yeah, that's, correct. that looks like a pretty airport. I've seen a lot of YouTube videos yeah, of people going there. It looks nice. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. We. I actually tried to go within there about two years ago, um, but it was. Uh, it had 300 foot ceilings. He didn't have his IFR yet, and uh, so we we got about three quarters of the way uh, over East Bay basically, and turned around and went up to Lake Tahoe instead. Um, so we got to cover the the width of California in about uh, about an hour and a half total flight time. It was pretty cool. So, so when is this anyway, that's all I've got going on. Am I on mute or something? No. Nope, you're not you're on there. mute, but you're pretty quiet. When was that okay. again, uh, Mark? Uh, the, the, the tweet up or the meet up, whatever we're going to call it, is uh, July 15th. And I think the time that we set was 4 o'clock. But if you get there earlier, uh, you know, there's a restaurant at walking distance from the parking area um, where, where we're going to go. And I, I can't recall the name of the uh, the restaurant. I'm going to look, but uh, let's see. The July 15th fly-in. Da, 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 da. Let me scroll a little bit. Um, uh, he didn't put it in here. But there's a restaurant right there. I think it's the only one right there within walking distance. Um, so we're all going to meet there and just uh, get to know other, other West Coasters that are on Twitter. That's a little close to Oshkosh for me to make it out there. You know, I was thinking about that date and time too. So I, I think two or three of these guys aren't going to be able to make it. Um, I'm, I'm still on the fence. Um, I, I'm trying really hard to go. I, the, my wife already said I could go, but uh, um, we'll see what happens. I've got some, some work things going on. Yeah, we're uh, trying to figure out when we can head out to California. We have some friends in. Um, uh, okay, where are they? Um, they're right by Mountain View. They're just north of Mountain View. Oh yeah, that's yeah. The East Bay area. Yeah, so um, we're trying to head up there. I just don't know when, because uh, it depends on when we have the money, you know, with all the wedding crap to make it out there. So, mm-hmm. um, but if it wasn't, it's so close to Oshkosh, I can't take off work long enough to make it up to have the trip then. Otherwise, I'd say I'd try to plan the trip around that, and you know, make a little trip up there. Very cool. Okay, uh, that leaves us with Chris. What have you been up to, Chris? Sorry, I was on mute. A little bit of everything. <laughs> uh, try to keep it on mute so you don't hear me sneezing and stuff. I'm still trying to fight a little bit of a cold. It's 99% away, but still something there in my throat. Anyways, um, yeah, uh, since shoot, since the last time we've talked, um, been a little fly-in, met a few people. Um, I got to hang out with uh, Mike Hart, uh, a.k.a. Mike Stu from the Pilot's Journey Aviation Podcast. One of the uh, famous stews. Um, he was out here on uh, on business in uh, for a um, s- some sort of conference having to do with like uh, nuclear waste. <laughs> so uh, while he was out here, we got a we got a chance to meet up and uh, hang out for a little while and talk. So that was a lot of fun. So yeah, we talked. We, we we met up and uh, hung out for a while and talked, and that was a that was a good time for sure. Um, he had just got his. Uh, is a Piper Cub recently, so we talked about that, and you know, uh, he also has a, uh, a Cessna 206, so he wanted something a little bit smaller wow. that uh, that didn't take uh, you know 15, 16 gallons an hour of gas. So uh, he's got himself a nice little Cub. Thing's practically brand new. It, I don't know. I think it had less than five or six hundred hours on it total time. Wow! Ridiculous, right? Yeah, Brent. 
brand new but 60 years old. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, and uh, it did break down on him, unfortunately. There was uh, there was some um, engine issues after you know the first few flights. So it's one of those things with uh, you know planes like to fly. You know, the more you fly them, they stay in good shape. Uh, you let them sit and and rot away. You know, they will show you some issues. So um, what else? Uh, um, oh, um, so a friend of mine uh, does uh, like. Uh, advertising type uh, banners, and uh, he'll make business cards, and he does all kinds of uh, you know advertising uh, promotion stuff for people. And uh, so, anyways, um, he made he made a, a big sign, kind of out of this corrugated plastic material or something. Made a big sign for this guy um, who does uh, uh, helicopter tours, and uh, he traded out some of that time in a flight. So he gave me a call one day. He was like, "Hey, would you be interested in?" Uh, going on a helicopter flight with me and uh i'm like yeah let's go so he goes all right i'll let you know when and where so um he gave me a call and we hooked up uh and uh so this guy out at uh, scottsdale airport um does uh you know rides in his uh, bell 206 jet ranger so now is that the one that you did the the two or three part video yeah i did that i did that video of it um it was a 30 minute flight um, I actually got the uh, co-pilot seat right up front. Uh, he sat in the back with his two daughters, so uh, it was it was a, a full uh, a full aircraft, five of us in it. Um, wow! So it was a blast. Um, we all had headsets and could talk to each other. You know, he he supplied the headsets, so everything was real comfortable. Nice, a nice bird. It's uh, I forget how old it is, but it's it's you know it's in really good shape. Um, so we took off out of Scottsdale and kind of headed east towards uh, Indian Reservation land, and you know he had like come up to the mountains or you know hills, if you if you will, um, and we'd come up to him just kind of low and just kind of sneak up over the top of him, kind of raise gradually with the uh, terrain as it's rising, and just kind of sneak up over the top and then drop down low uh, on the other side. Um, so that was fun. Oh, then we got uh, we we uh, hit up the um, Salt River, come up on the Salt River, and we were doing like a hundred knots, ten foot off the water, and just kind of making the cur- curves cool. and stuff. It was just a blast. Um, so I was, I was kind of wondering whether or not I got my, got the right ticket or not, but because <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That's a That's lot funny. more I'll, expensive. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll show my yeah. I'll show my age a little bit. Did you feel kind of like you were an airwolf? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what? Um, yeah, I kept wanting to say, uh, you know, um, what, what's the famous saying? Uh, um, Rob, Rob, what's his name? Rob Schneider? No, not Rob Schneider. Um, his last name Schneider or something like that. The actor that was in Airwolf. No, no, not Airwolf. I'm thinking um, Roy Schneider. You're at Roy Schneider and uh, Blue uh, Thunder. Uh, Blue Thunder. Is yeah. that right? Blue yeah. Thunder. Roy Schneider. Yeah, Roy Schneider. Yeah. Blue yep. Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. You say. I just, I just saw that a couple of weeks ago. Did you really? I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, we just lost. Yeah, it was it was on like TNT or something. <laughs> Let's play a little follow my leader. John's like what? Blue what? Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> you remember uh, the guy? Who's Roy the guy would say, uh, "Let's play a little follow my leader." Yes. So, anyways, um, that was a blast. That was, you know, yeah, like like you say, it would cost a fortune. That's I I don't know what you do with with the helicopter ticket other than stuff like that or. You know, I don't know, ferry people to oil oil rigs or something. I, it just, it it seems so specialized that you know, because I'll, I'll give you an example. A guy at my work, you know, I work at a church. Um, the 
the guy in charge of like the facility uh, of like all maintenance and um, building improvements and whatnot. He actually has his commercial pilot's license for a helicopter, and he flies just enough to go get it. Uh, and he, he's got his instructor license, by the way. But all he does is fly just enough in order to keep his license. He does no extra flying because it, it just costs that much money. And you know, where do you go to rent a rent a helicopter? You know, there's very few people, so you're kind of stuck. You almost have to do it working for a large corporation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's a lot more jobs in that than there is for commercial pilots. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. I'd like to do it again. Last time I rode in a helicopter, it was with you, John. We uh, we yeah. we rode the little uh, Bell 47 out at uh, Oshkosh last year, and that was a lot of fun. It was a lot. But this was uh, just a little bit more on the luxury side of things. Hi, I'm Stuart Stevenson, a.k.a. Pilot Stu, from the Pilot's Journey podcast. And I'm Stuart Stoll, a.k.a. CFI Stu, inviting you to join us for the Pilot's Journey podcast, where we discuss aviation, proficiency, and most of all, enjoying the journey. You can find us in iTunes or at pilotsjourneypodcast.com. And don't forget to enjoy the journey. The members of the In the Pattern podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with, the instructors they learn from, or the flight schools they attend. Remember, these guys are student pilots, so anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on an aircraft operation is obviously from the perspective of student pilot. You should always consider your own situation, consult your instructor, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Cleared for the option. All right, and uh, we're back after some Skype difficulties and uh, a freak rainstorm that is now occurring in my car. In, but, uh, in your car? <laughs> uh, actually, on my car. Roll the windows in my up. Car, boring now. But, uh, ooh, uh, so Mark, I, I hear something about uh, you and a flying club as well. It seems we're on the same path to getting back into flying. You know, it was funny. When I, I was talking about that, I had that I met with uh, one of my Twitter followers uh, a new friend, um, Mark, and uh, he was talking about. Uh, he's like, "Oh, you, there's no clubs in the area," and I think, "No, there's." I've looked, and in the, lo- the the two airports that I fly in and out of, there's no there, with the exception of of my flight school, um, there's not a true you know non instruction flying club in the area. And he goes, he said, uh, "Well, you're close to Beale, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Well, kind of, yeah." It's Within a you know half hour forty five minutes, he's like, you should check out their Aero Club. So, the matter of fact, it was today. I jumped online. I had a, a break in between some jobs, and I, I, I pulled it up. And uh, because I'm in cap and I'm former Air Force and all of the prerequisites have fallen in place, I can actually join the Aero Club out at out at Beale. And they have uh, let me pull it right back up. They have one seventy twos. Actually, as you were talking about, they have T forty ones. Uh, they have a dash A and a dash C. Um, wet rates, eighty nine bucks. Um, let's see, the Piper Warrior is a hundred bucks. Um, it really not that bad. They've got they've got um, they've got. Let's see, their instructor rates twenty five bucks an hour, nice. which is half of what I was paying for yeah. before. That's sweet. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking I'll 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 shoehorn my my 
big butt into a 172 if I have if that's what I need to do to finish my stuff and it's only $35 a month for the monthly dues and uh it looks like a pretty uh a pretty pretty decent club they have you know about a half a dozen airplanes it looks like so I'm going to check into that cool I, that sounds exactly like my club. It's, it it's does. thirty bucks an hour for the instructor rate. It's eighty nine for the plane. We got T forty ones, and yeah, I mean that's that's awesome. Uh, Mark, I think uh, getting you in and out of a one seventy two will be you'll like that more than trying to climb across the seat and everything in the Archer. You know, I I, I climb in and out of our 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 cap one eighty two, and it's really not that bad. Yeah. You know, I just I it's a high wing low wing thing. That's all it is. But I actually I love flying the Archer that I that I was flying. Um, it's it's just like the Cirrus, of course. You you can't complain about flying a Cirrus, but mm-hmm. um, but you know what? If for for eighty nine bucks an hour wet, I, I think I can I, I think I could knock this out. Yeah. So what, I'm gonna have to check okay. it out. But yeah. So when I when I find out, and hopefully I can I can come back to the next episode with some better news instead of being a living statistic, which really <laughs> again it sucks. <laughs> hey, I mean I'm there too. I yeah, my but you have that license. I don't. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people get it, and then they just kind of stop. Yeah, so. this is true. Jeez. I hope Glad we're both getting in. What's the awesome flying club? Yeah, those sound great. Email from the instructor, so uh, I gotta sign up online, and I'm good. Woo-hoo. Very nice. So um, you you have to. Um, go up with an instructor to get checked out in the various ones or it was like a oh, 172 they're all the same or do you know what the deal is on that um if you get checked out in the t41 it gets back you know you can fly the the 172 as long as you stay current in the t41 mm-hmm. um i don't know there might still be an initial checkout for each plane and then after that you know the currency goes down yeah um I, I don't know. It's kind of like when I go with the instructor, I'll probably just get checked out in the 172. Um, we'll see. It looks like it's going to be about three hours total, um, which is about what I expected. So I just got a budget for that. And hell, if that's an hour and a half in the plane and an hour and a half on the ground, that's still only like 90 bucks for the instructor and, you know, 110 bucks for the plane. So not too shabby. Well, uh, since we're kind of on the on the subject of that, um, to kind of segue, um, so I, I'd been wanting to fly for a while, and and I'd been contacting my instructor about, hey, you know, is the plane available? Is the plane available? And she goes, no, it's down for its you know hundred hour maintenance, its hundred hour inspection. But I mean, like every week I'd contact her. No, it's still not available. It's still not available. And I'm like, I, I finally gave up. I'm like. All right, I got to go find a, an alternative to this uh, this archer. So um, through through someone local here um, that I found on Twitter, um, ha- found a flight school out of uh, Glendale Airport, which is no further away than than uh, Deer Valley is for me. I can get to either one of them in about fifteen minutes. Um, but uh, he says, yeah, this flying club or this flying club. I mean, this um, this uh, school um, has like three Cessna 172s and a twin Duke or something. I think, um, and uh, and they're reasonably you know priced and everything. They have three three Cessna 172s. One goes for 125 wet. The other is 120, and the other one's 98. 
uh, and the the two for 120, 125 are SPs, so they're fuel injected, and the other ones, uh, the one for 98 is carbureted. Um, it's a little older, probably like that P model, or maybe even a little older. I'm not sure. Um, probably a P. So yeah, I think it's like you said, maybe it's like 1968, or I don't know. 68 or uh, P's were like 81-ish. Oh no, it's it's older than. Yeah, it might be an H or something, but whatever. Um, So I'm like, yeah, let me go check it out. So I went down there and um, got the paperwork to to get to do the checkout. You know, it's 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 almost like that same test that you take uh, prior to soloing. So it's like that pre-solo test, you know. And um, so I uh, I filled that out. Uh, Well, basically, I took it home, um, filled it out over that week and then the following weekend I went back down there to get checked out in a 172 uh, a 172 SP I think it's about a 2000 model maybe 2001 something like that uh, but you know nicely equipped um, first first time behind the yoke in a 172 you know I've flown with my buddy Dean in his, in his 140 um, I flowed I flew with uh, Bill will one time in his in 182 that he was part of that club. But first time in a 172, and so um, my checkout consists of uh, three times around the patch, and that was it. Um, two touch and goes and a full stop. Okay, we're all done. No need to uh, reinvent the wheel, he said. <laughs> so uh, You guys are all going to the dark side. This is terrible. <laughs> uh, well, the archer's back up, so I'm definitely going to go back over there. But you know what? Um, the, having to pay for fuel on the archer because it's a dry rate – now with now with the cost of fuel gone up so much, I'm thinking I might I might go to that ninety eight dollar uh, Cessna or Cessna one seventy two and just you know go with the cheap thing for now until you know fuel comes back down a little bit. I tell you what, the older one seventy twos, you know, they're not that bad. Uh, they're really not. They they said that it you know it, it flies just as good as any of them, so you know um, it might not have the fancy GPS in it or whatnot, but. Hey, I got my cell phone. I don't need a GPS. <laughs> uh, you know if it's, a, if it's a 160 or a 180 horse? Uh, it's a 160. The other the other two are 180s. 160. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have um, two of the ones. I think we have three 172s, and two of them are the 180 conversion. Oh. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, still a 160. They're just waiting for overhaul, and then they're going to put a 180 in. So that's why I asked. Cool. Cool. Well, I, I I tell you the the one thing you know, like everybody who 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 tries a high wing after flying low wings, you know, um, you do like having to be able to get into through your own door. Uh, that 172 does feel a little more spacious. I mean, it doesn't. You don't feel like you're as close together. I don't know. It's, it feels like it's really? a little bit wider to me. I don't know. Because I feel cramped as hell on the 172. Really. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it's cl- climbing through the door, and then the other person climbing in right behind you. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's just mental. It might. I have never even checked what the actual width of the two are, but it feels like it's a little bit bigger. And then and this flight instructor who who I went up with was bigger than anyone that I've ever flown with in the front seat, anyways. So yeah, um, it, it felt good. Uh, one of the things I I missed was being able to see the runway when I was making my turns and the pattern. Um, that kind of sucked. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You lean forward. Hey, where, literally where'd my runway go? 
Uh, so you know, you look at your uh, look at your compass, and you're like going, okay, here's here's about 90 degrees <laughs> from where I started that turn. I should be on uh, on uh, you know base now. Um, so uh, my first landing, um, I thought, man, I, I flared too fast or too soon. Um, one thing I noticed in the 172 is that that stall horn. Is all over you in comparison in comparison to the uh, Cherokees or the archers. Um, <laughs> it, it takes a lot of effort to put that Cherokee stall horn on. A lot. The uh, 172 on takeoff, I get. Eh, I'm like, going, what are you talking about? I, it's not like I was trying to point to the sun or anything. Um, it, it was. It felt like a very normal takeoff, but that stall horn stall horn jumped right out at me. And then on landing, too, I got the stall horn a lot sooner than I thought I was, so it scared me a little bit. I was like going, wait, 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 you know, I'm still in the flare, and and it kind of plopped down. It wasn't my best landing ever. And he was just like, he just said, you know, keep working it, keep pulling it back, keep pulling it back, keep working it, keep flying the plane, you'll be fine. I'm like, all right. So on the next go around, um, coming back down, uh, my approach was better, um, and... Again, I got that stall horn earlier than I thought I would, but like you said, I just kept pulling that yoke back real, real slowly and put it down. And I was like, ah, I got it. I got the feeling now. And then the third one, um, which was a full stop, just a full stop, uh, full stop. Uh, I just kind of, you know, greased that one a lot better than the rest. And um, I just, it's just one of those things you have to get used to. It's a, it, it feels totally different landing than, uh, than those low wing archers do. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad to have two options now, um, and uh, and they and not two options, but actually four options because they have three 172s for rent, and they have an online scheduling, so um, it's uh, it's convenient. Yeah, cool. So um, about two weeks, I guess, after I got checked out in it, um, I took uh, a couple of buddies of mine from work, and we flew up to uh, Sedona. Uh, for uh, breakfast, and um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Sedona, uh, but it, it, it's kind of a, f- a famous airport in the sense that it's up on top of a mesa that's, mm-hmm. I don't know, 5,500 feet up, roughly, um, in Sedona, Arizona. And um, so it's up on top of a mesa. It's got the nickname of the USS Sedona because it's kind of like landing on an aircraft carrier. Um, a great big one, of course, but... Uh, but uh, you really got to watch out for the winds and stuff. And prior to my prior to the decision of whether or not we're going to fly or not was what's the winds like going on up there? Because if there's any kind of wind, just forget it. Because at the ends of the runways, uh, there's these updrafts from the wind hitting the uh, mason and, and then coming up, you know. And uh, and if you and if you can't land on runway three and take off on two one, forget it. Also because um, uh, if you land on runway three, you get a nice slight uphill landing, so it helps with the braking. And then if you can, and then you take off going the opposite direction that you landed on, even if even if you've got the tailwind um, of up to you know six eight knots, even ten they say, um, because it's downhill, you pick up a lot of speed and you don't got to clear any obstacles because it just drops out from underneath you basically. So, but you don't need all that runway. Um, e- even with these two guys I had with me, which were pretty good sized guys, um, you know, the, the 180 horse uh, 172 just climbed right out with no problem. Um, the guys I took, one was that helicopter pilot, 
Basically, I let him have the yoke, you know, five minutes after I took off, and that was his first time ever flying a fixed-wing aircraft. Prior to that, you know, he's only flown in helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of weird, and and he he just felt like a natural. I actually had him bring us into the pattern at uh, at uh, Sedona, uh, take us downwind. No, I'm sorry. What, in order to do the pattern correctly at Sedona, you actually cross midfield and then enter the downwind. Um, I mean, coming from Phoenix, I could have landed straight uh, on runway three. From I could have had a 45-mile straight in if I wanted to. Um, but uh, the problem is you, you could totally interrupt the traffic that's going on there. Um, and there is quite a bit of traffic usually, and it's, and it's uh, a non-towered airport. So... We crossed overhead a, um, uh, about a thousand or twelve hundred feet over <clears throat> over the runway and uh, just entered the downwind and then I took over um, after we were established on the downwind. So um, I took over that and, and then landed non-issue. It was, uh, it was uh, a nice breakfast and took back off, went home and and we sw- had uh, him and uh, Mason switch seats and then I gave Mason the controls and he flew us back home. So. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I think all the times that I've went flying and I've let other people come with me, um, which I've I've never not flown with somebody. They've done more flying than I have. <laughs> I just did the takeoffs and landings, so that's that's the fun part, anyways. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sedona's beautiful. Anywho, looking to go back up soon. I'm, I'm trying to uh, um, put together a flight to go up to the uh, meteor crater. Um, there's a big meteor crater up there, just like 40 miles east of uh, uh, Flagstaff. So it's only like a, an hour flight. Um, so fly around the meteor crater is, is pretty cool. I've seen it uh, on some YouTube videos. Now I want to go do it. <laughs> so yeah, that looks so cool. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was I was looking at some pictures you had posted of uh, one of your flights out there, and I was just like, you know, with the mountains and everything, it just looks so cool. Yeah, it's so much different than the. Rolling hills filled with forests out here. Yeah, the red were the flat, <laughs> and that's the eastern. Yeah. Chris, did you ever read uh, Flying Carpet from uh, Greg Brown? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He, he's a from my- avi- aviation author who uh, moved down to the Arizona area, and he's got a lot of stories about Sedona and uh, pictures of different Interest really interesting places to go in the Southwest. There's a, a lot of good stories in it. I'd, I'd recommend it. Cool. So look that one up. Yeah, um, mountain flying. Um, you know, there's a lot of different courses that you can take for mountain flying, I guess. And I never took a course because we're in the area. So I guess it's just um, part of your training when you're here. If you fly north, you're in the mountains. If you fly south, it's more or less flat desert with some mountains scattered here and there but if you fly north you're in a mountain range i mean you just are so that's the only thing scary you're constantly constantly thinking if the engine went out now where can i go because in those mountains you are so limited um if it's flat below you forever i mean you've got you've got a lot of decisions you know a lot of choices to make but up there it just it it's one of those things that's always in the back of my mind it, no matter where we go, I'm always looking below me. Where can I go? Where can I go? Where can I go? And you know, you'll see different mesas that you could hit, uh, land on. But 
yeah, I'm sure the plane would get torn up one way or the other, on, even on those, because who knows what you're going to be on top of. There's got to be huge rocks and, and tumbleweeds and, and brush and whatnot that's three, four feet high even. A little scary, but um, uh, fun nonetheless, and nice views. Yeah. I'd like to do some of that ocean-looking, ocean flying like you get to do, John. You get to be around water, so that's kind of fun. It is It is cool. I, um, I'm actually... I, you know, since I haven't been flying, I've actually been planning a few trips here and there and just stuff. So when I get the money, I can make a weekend trip. And uh, <laughs> I've been planning a trip to uh, um, possibly to Rhode Island from here. It's uh, it's roughly two hours and 40 minutes. And it, I can possibly take the um, – I was thinking about taking the, the Hudson River corridor, like scenic route, either on the way up or the way back. I've heard about um, that. Yeah, so basically, uh, and I know the um, New Pilot Podblog did a he did a show. Um, Robert did a um, cockpit audio of them doing that because that's another special flight rules area. Uh-huh. But um, I was thinking about doing that, and basically we would go up. It's uh, just south of Pro- or southeast of Providence is where we'd be going. Um, the fiance's sister lives up there, so we were thinking about going up there maybe for a weekend or something because um, it would make sense because the three hour minimum per day. Um, would actually be filled with flying. Mm-hmm. So I could go up two days and not have to pay any extra, which would be awesome. So it'd be like 600 bucks, but it's really not that bad. Yeah. Um, and essentially I'd be going, going over the Chesapeake Bay, going up Delaware by, um, past Wilmington, probably a little to the east because they always have a TFR for Biden there. Um, and basically just following the coastline all the way up to Rhode Island. Um, diverting inward for a little while just to bypass the Bravo of New York, either up or back, or doing the Hudson Corridor to get to New York. But uh, really think about doing that, because I think it'd be so much fun. I haven't been on a long trip like that yet, so I really want to go somewhere, and I think two and a half hours is, is feasible, because I've done an hour and 40 minutes. That sounds fantastic. The views, the view from above has got to be beautiful. Oh, yeah, especially when, when she start getting up into New England. Mm-hmm. I think it's just so cool. Speaking of that, uh, that three-hour minimum thing, uh, that reminds me of that uh, those those 172s they have over there at Glendale. Um, they don't they don't have that. So if I wanted to go fly and stay the night at Sedona and come back the next day, no problem. And Sedona is only a 45-minute flight. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. That would be uh, nice. But we do have you know 300 other people who are vying for spots in an airplane. Oh so. man, that's a big club. It is. Um, I mean, not all of them are active. Yeah, sure. But it, it's definitely a busy club, mm-hmm. um, which is why I want to get checked out in both so I have more of an option. I'm even considering getting checked out in a 150, just if I want to go out by myself. Yeah. You know, I, I'm surprised. I can't find one of those to fly around here. I don't know why that's so difficult. I thought, I thought that was like the most popular uh, you know, plane to fly around in, as far as, especially for getting your license. Um, but. Uh, I can't. And, I can't find one yeah. close by, anyways. The only thing I can figure. I know there's. Well, I know there's one over at Chandler, but that's way too far uh, for me to go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So Brad, I heard you had a a few more things you wanted to go over. Oh Please. yeah. Just just tell a couple stories before we hang it up. Um, I managed to get a whole bunch of actual in March, uh, leading up to my check ride, which is something I really wanted to do. Uh, and and by and large, it went really well. Um, you know, flying an actual is a very different experience from flying under the hood because you don't get any cues at all as to as to where you're at, uh, or or whether or not the plane's turning or anything like that. 
and so we're we're motoring along, and I'm shooting an ILS approach. It was my third third approach of the day, I think, and we're motoring along happy as can be, and I've got the needles right in the center, which which is a rarity for me. I had been struggling to that point to to really get it dialed in, and I've got it just right, and I've got the hood on, and we break out underneath the clouds. It was about a uh, maybe a 900 foot overcast and I was going to shoot it all the way down to minimums to 200 feet and we break out and my you know flight instructor's in the right seat and he's looking for traffic and doing all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden he was messing around with the avionics for a second and all of a sudden he looks up and I hear him say oh shit and he pulls back on the yoke really really hard and I'm sitting there with the hood on, staring at the panel going, do I really want to know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, after we all got the seat cushions pulled out, uh, he said, well, I looked up and there was a flock of 50 Canada geese right in front of us. Oh, yikes. <laughs> oh, that would have left a mark. Oh, big time. Yeah, they're about 10 pounds apiece. Mm-hmm. That's a big bird. And if they can take down an A320 and make it land in the Hudson yeah. Corridor, yeah. Um, imagine what it would do to a, to an archer. So that that was that was definitely the most exciting flying moment I've had. Yikes. My instructor said, you see a bird, duck. <laughs> no, don't duck. <laughs> you go over. I mean, you mean duck inside the airplane? <laughs> duck inside the airplane. Yeah, so yeah. You have like more engine between you and the bird. Yeah, <laughs> they go over your yes. head through the windshield. But definitely uh, pull. Yeah. Don't push. If you see a bird, don't oh, push. Okay. Yeah, you can out because they them. will dive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they know they can dive faster than they can climb, so that's what they're going to try to do. Mm-hmm. And ugh. so I asked after we were back on the ground, and I changed my shorts. I uh, <laughs> I asked him. Do they ever fly in IMC? <laughs> and he says, yes. They're all instrument said, rated. Well, I'm like, well, what the heck are you supposed to do about that? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. cross your fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. wow. That's a scary thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that wasn't that wasn't good. There there was actually a um, an accident up up in Minnesota oh, almost ten years ago and they flight, student and flight instructor were flying at 10,000 feet, and then the air traffic control lost contact with the plane, and uh, very soon thereafter lost it off of the radar. And they found the plane, they found the wreckage, and uh, they found large parts of Canada goose in it. And around here, 10,000 feet MSL is about 9,000 feet AGL, and I don't know what a Canada goose was doing up that high. Mm. But he was probably thinking about the same thing about two humans taking advantage of the tailwinds. So. <laughs> I guess I don't know how they can tell. I don't know. You know, um, I I got to dodge those around here all the time, um, but only when I'm driving, because just down the street from me is um, houses on on man-made lakes, and there's all kinds of Canadian geese. And a lot of times while I'm driving to the house, I got to stop because like 40 of them are trying to cross the road at the same time. <laughs> There's all kinds of Canadian geese everywhere down here. My other fun fun little story, and I'll keep this one short, was 
you guys all remember your magnetic compass deviation rules? Yeah. You know, accelerate oh, wait, north, decelerate did you, south. Did you say, John, John um, did you say yes? Because I don't remember I at all. Yes. <laughs> no, yes, no, because there's a there's a there's an acronym for it. Uh, there's ANDS. Oh, okay. ANDS. Yep, ANDS. Yeah. Yes. Accelerate north, north decelerate, decelerate south. south. Uh-huh. Right, so if you're going east or west, if you accelerate, it'll turn north. If you decelerate, it'll turn south. And then the other one is... is uh, Unos, undershoot north, overshoot south. Right. So if you're if you're turning to the north, you have to undershoot your turn. Anyway, it's part of the IFR check right is you have to do partial panel work. You have to simulate. You know, hey, you just lost your vacuum pump, and so you can't use the attitude indicator or the directional gyro anymore. And they and they cover them up. And this is not a big surprise. Every student knows that this is coming. It's in the PTS. So I. Fine, she covers them up, and she says, okay, go to north. So I turn up to north, and she says, okay, give me a 90-degree turn to the right. Or, no, she doesn't. She says, "Give uh, turn, turn, right turn, 090. Okay, right turn, 090. And, you know, because I'm going due north, I can't use the magnetic compass at all. It isn't going to give me any useful information. So what do you do? You use the... Oh my! Okay, so you use the crickets. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, it was on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of the. Put the <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Use the, the turn uh, indicator. The, the rate of turn indicator. Turn. I was just about to say that. Yes, use the rate of turn. And use a, right. a standard a standard rate turn. Use a standard rate turn, three degrees for per second. So thirty seconds exactly, mm-hmm. and then you're and then you'll turn ninety degrees. So I. I've got a clock right there because it's an IFR equipped plane. It has to have a clock with a second hand on it, and I've got the turn coordinator with the rate of turn indicator on it, and I set it up for a standard rate turn, and I mark off 30 seconds, and I pull back up, and I immediately look up at the magnetic compass. Now, remember, she gave me a turn. I was headed north. She gave me a turn to 090. I look up at the magnetic compass, and it's reading due west. What? (laughs) And I'm going... Oh God! Did I just bust my check ride? Uh huh. And she says, "Nope, don't worry. Wait for it." And all of a sudden, the thing just whips around. Whoa! <laughs> and and uh, about fifteen seconds later, it actually read east. Wow! <laughs> went, it took that long okay. to to. You were off a hundred and eighty degrees for that long. I was off a hundred and eighty degrees. Wow! <laughs> and then it swung past and had to swing back again. You know, and after I want to go try after, that now. Yeah, now you got to go give it a shot, and uh, it actually happens that way. And there, there's a good reason why you don't look at the magnetic compass when you're turning. Do you think it'll make any difference me being so much further south than you? I don't think so. Um, no, one thing that's hard for me to get used to is I'm almost on the zero degree isogonic line. Uh huh. And how far off are you guys? Uh, eleven. Six, I think. Six and eleven. Yeah, see, I'm just not used to having to do any sort of compensation for that at all. <laughs> and it made my private really easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's math you have to do. Right, there's no compensating at all. I mean, it's one or two degrees, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'd have to so, go anyway. go back and and look at one of my old uh, um, flight plans and see, because I keep them just so I can remember how to do the next one usually. But I uh, haven't looked at one in a little while. That's another good reason to get the IFR. Mm-hmm. You never have to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, those are my two stories. Good stories. 
John, anything else that you wanted to cover? Um, no, you know what? I got I got a few shout outs, um, stuff like that. So if we have no more uh, no more show material at this point, actually we have a lot more, but uh, about the time we need to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so, I think I'm all good. I can't can't wait to see everybody at Osh. That ought to be a blast. Um, yeah. So I still haven't bought my uh, I still haven't bought my return flight home yet. <laughs> I've only got my flight to get there. <laughs> I'll just stay. Uh, yeah, that's not an issue. Yeah. Pick up a plane, fly it back. Mm-hmm. Surprise the wife. Yeah, that would be a surprise. Mm-hmm. Not in a good way. Um, Say, I bought it from this really nice divorce lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. He gave me his card. Mm-hmm. He said, told me he'd buy, he'd buy it back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, shout outs. Shout outs. I have two. Go for it. I have epic. Uh, FAA wings. I've actually been uh, um, as I was starting to study. I did a couple uh, couple things just to get credit for that. So uh, they have some pretty good stuff that are wings wings credits on the FAA website, which is basically what I was looking at. Um, but the cool thing is, which is also my second shout out, is the Sporty's Flight Review app. Um, they have that that flight review course. You can buy it as a DVD. You can get it as an iPad app. Um, it's actually. Uh, you can get wings credit from doing that. Um, and it's, I don't know, it took me about three hours to get through the whole thing. Um, just a bunch of videos, you watch them and it's kind of like going through ground school again, just a lot quicker. Um, so it's a great way to get a, a, a credit for FA wings. And, um, it's a really good app, $30 in the app store. I don't know how much the duty is. Um, looks great on the new iPad. So, um, those are my two. And, very beneficial for, for trying to get back into flying again after a couple months of, of not. So that's what I got. I had a couple. Uh, my first shout-out goes to Steve Tupper, a.k.a. Stephen Force from the Airspeed podcast. He recorded his IFR checkride um, from, from the moment that the, uh, the avionics turned on until he shut down. And it was really great to listen to it because it let me know that I was actually ready to do the check ride. Um, you know, after listening to him go through his, I, I knew that I was going to be able to, to survive mine, and that that it wasn't going to be uh, some big horrible thing. So a big shout out to uh, Steve Tupper. Uh, and my other one goes to Scott Denstead of uh, Aviation Weather Workshops. Uh, I I got. Uh, a three CD or a, you know three CD download of uh, his workshops on weather, and they're just outstanding. I've learned so much about weather and what it does, and how to look at it, and what to look for, and and what the gotchas are. Uh, that uh, I just just can't recommend it enough. So that's it for me, though. Cool. Uh, I got a couple as well. Um, just real quick, another shout out to uh, Mike Hart. Thanks for uh, looking me up here when you was uh, uh, down hanging out in Phoenix for your conference. It was a blast. And uh, one other, um, a local guy down here, Adam Rosenberg. Uh, he flies out of Deer Valley as well. Flies a um, uh, an Archer. Um, he just had his. He just he just landed at his 500th different airport. He's uh he's he's made wow. he's made it made it to 500 different airports, and his 500th one was. Death Valley. Pretty cool. Wow. So congrats to him. Um, 
I need to I need to hook up with him. Uh, he's always he's always shouting out, uh, "Hey, I'm gonna go here. If anyone wants to, you know, ride with me, I'd welcome the company." So I need to catch up with him sometime. So that's it for me. Cool. Well, uh, I have uh, one more thing I forgot. Uh, I'd like to talk about this next episode. I just want to give a shout out to uh, Dave Vanderhoof and um, Sam uh, at Wired for Flight and um, Jordan at uh, Flightsoft um, for such an awesome time hanging out with them. Uh, we had dinner and then we had uh, spent the day watching Discovery arrive at the Smithsonian, which was uh, so cool to see Discovery and Enterprise together. Um, and I'd like to talk a lot more about that in the next episode. But uh, just a quick shout out to all of them for uh, for uh, hanging out and for David for. Um, uh, let me stay in the hotel room with them for a night. So it was a lot of fun. Um, with that, I'd like to do. Uh, we got a little bit of uh, listener mail, um, so we can go through that real quickly before we uh, head out. Um, we have uh, two emails that we got, and uh, finally, somebody sent us a voicemail. <laughs> um, so we'll talk in a second. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and get through these emails. Uh, if one of you guys want to take the, the first one there, I'll pick one up. Uh, we had an email from Thomas Jed Foster, who said, uh, I just started listening to you guys, so I'm a year behind your more current episodes, but I've enjoyed them a lot. I'm an air traffic controller and aspiring pilot, so I really enjoy hearing what it's like on the other end of the mic. I work at Goodyear, Arizona Tower, so listening to Chris talk about flying around Deer Valley, uh, Golf Echo Uniform and Golf Yankee Romeo is pretty interesting. I'm glad I've got hours and hours of listening to do before I even catch up to current episodes. No more worrying about what to listen to while driving to work or working out. Thanks a lot, guys. And we really appreciate that. It's it's great to hear that uh, that somebody actually listens to us. Yeah. And we're not just uh, getting on and babbling to each other. Maybe I've, maybe I've talked to him even. Who knows? <laughs> You probably have. You probably angered him, but you know he still listens to it. <laughs> I've I've been over to Goodyear a couple times. As a matter of fact, that's where I flew out of for my check ride. Might want to file that ARS, ASRS report. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we got another one from uh, David Wallace uh, at Nomad Flyer on Twitter. Uh, he said, "Hey guys, you know we really enjoyed your podcast. Uh, keep up the great work." Uh, he wanted to comment on the opening of VFR flight plan in a busy airspace that uh, Brad talked about, I believe, two episodes ago. Um, he's at my airport, uh, Galepsi Field, that's uh, K-S-E-E, Kilo Sierra Echo Echo, is a busy class delta that lies under the San Diego class Bravo. The tower does not offer clearance delivery service for VFR flights, meaning we have to contact SoCal Approach after Airborne to request flight following and get a spot code. Since the surface boundary of the class B is nearby when heading northbound, it's hard to launch, stay with the tower, and avoid inbound aircraft. Contact flight service to open a flight plan, then contact SoCal Approach and get the clearance before hitting the Class Bravo boundary. Uh, I solved this problem by asking flight service on the ground before engines start to activate my flight plan in 20 minutes, which is enough time to start the engine, taxi, run up, and take off, give or take a few minutes. In the event I don't launch, I contact flight service to delay the activation, give them a new departure time, or cancel the plan. It worked quite well. So uh, I'd like to thank David for uh, sending that in. That's uh, some really good info on uh, for those who... Yeah, good tip, David. For Thanks. Who don't get the uh, opening of flight plan in <laughs> Delta. That's cool, though. Good to know. Yeah, thanks, David. For sure. Um, and lastly, we got that uh, we got that, that voicemail from uh, I believe it's Elijah Young. If we uh, got your name wrong. Apologize. 
Um, so go ahead and take a listen to that. Hi, in the Pattern Podcast. Uh, this is Align G. Young. Just want to uh, leave kind of a review for y'all. Um, love the show. Uh, it's been a great help as I've been uh, working on my ticket and finally got it a few weeks ago. Um, hey, I'd love to see the In the Pattern podcast talking about the initial intimidation that you all experienced um, before you went out to the airport, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, getting out there and, uh, you know, seeing uh, uh, seeing what it's all like and, and if there was any um, intimidation there uh, that you all experienced. Um, I'd love to hear about it and on one of your upcoming shows. And again, uh, great podcast. Um, and yes. Have a good day. Awesome. Thank you for sending that. So, uh, Chris, you want to take it? So he's talking about just like the, you know, the initial intimidation of, I guess maybe is he talking about maybe talking to uh, air traffic control or the or the flying or? I think what he was talking about was that getting up the courage to actually drive out to the FBO for that first flight. Oh, okay. Man, I don't, as far as that goes, I... Someone, someone was having to hold me back, and of course that was my checkbook uh, for a while. Um, but, af- but after the, the money issue uh, got solved, uh, you know, uh, no problems. It's, it's just something that y- you know you want to do it, and uh, I think after you take that first initial uh, discovery flight or whatever they want to call it in your area, you know, um, you'll just want to do it, uh, you know, every chance you you got. So. Um, I I had a ball and, and and I wish I could have flown like twice a week if possible. Most most of the time during my flight training, I was flying once a week, uh, and sometimes I'd even have to skip and make it once every two weeks, uh, just depending on what was going on or money issues or whatever. But uh, yeah, it, I think after that first time, you're you're pretty much done. Sorry to tell you, you're hooked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going out the first time was, uh, you know, I went out for Discovery Flight, and I was nothing but excited for that the whole time. Um, you know, and then we got up, and it was just, I had maybe 30 seconds of being a little scared, because I'm a little scared of heights. I had about 30 seconds, and then I was comfortable, and that was it. I was hooked. <laughs> um, you know, and I went back again, and I was like, yeah, I can't wait to start training. And I was bummed, because it was too windy. I couldn't get out the first time, and then you know, came back and, and went up. And then after that is when I actually started getting a little nervous because I'm not very good at, um, I don't like people watching what I'm doing, you know, like I kind of have a thing with like, um, Being, talking on the phone with other people in the room type of thing, you know, like it's like that kind of, <laughs> you, so, you want your privacy. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, I, I've always had, I think it's because I'm always worried that I'm going to screw it up. And I was so worried I was going to screw it up, you know, that it was hard to go out with an instructor and have them tell you that you're screwing up <laughs> type of thing. Um, you know, and talking on the radio, you know, I was terrified of that. So, you know, I, I had to get over that initially and, and to keep going back. Um, you know, I knew I was, it was what I wanted to do and I had a blast doing it. But I actually didn't have the intimidation until, until after the first, you know, two or three, three times when I started getting overwhelmed by everything that was going on and getting thrown at me. And I felt like I was constantly making all these mistakes and, you know, I was doing everything wrong, but you know, it's just kind of you got to work through it, and then you get through it, and then you solo, and then you're like, "Oh man, I, now I understand." Um, I, I was actually more intimidated my first flight after I got my private, too, because it was the first time all of a sudden there's nobody watching what I'm doing to make sure that I don't screw up at that point. 
my my biggest intimidation factor was um, my first solo, and uh, and it it was just because you know. Like I was a little intimidated on the radio to start with, although I started talking right away. I, you know, like on the third flight, I was like, "All right, I got this. I'm going to do radios from now on." She's like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, "Yeah, you can help me if I screw up, but I, I want to get this down." So, um, so, but there was times that I, I know I was in the airplane and they would say something and I would catch my tail number but i wasn't sure what they was wanting me to do and i could just look over to my instructor i'm like that was for us what did they want and she would say but it was that you know that time when you're doing your solo that i was just afraid that if they said something and i didn't catch it i didn't want to get in trouble you know that sort of thing but obviously that went well i definitely um had the intimidation thing going i i went out and did a discovery flight and i did not enjoy it very much um it, the instructor didn't make me feel very comfortable uh he didn't seem really all that interested in uh in how i was doing or how i was doing in the airplane or or any of that kind of stuff and i actually kind of stopped at that point i didn't didn't go back to i never went back to that fbo uh, again and a friend of my wife's told me of a place that she went to do her private training and said they're great, they're really laid back, and you should try it out. And so I called up there and uh, made an appointment and flew with uh, the instructor that eventually did my primary and my uh, instrument rating uh, and, and got over it. But I can certainly understand, you know, it's 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 intimidating. You get in to this plane and there's all of these dials in front of you and you don't know what they are. And there's all this stuff coming at you. And, um, you know, the, if the instructor is flying and you do that base turn to final and you're looking out the window and you're seeing the ground getting closer and closer and you're going, what is going on? Um, yeah, there's, there, there was certainly some intimidation to it in, in the first time. And that over time, through the training, that intimidation gradually it just kind of turned into a, a form of respect for what what it is that I'm doing, uh, and a respect for the risks that are involved, and how you learn how to manage those risks. And that's one of the biggest things that I got out of flying was was getting past the uh, the fear, the intimidation, and getting to a point where I understood what was going on and I understood what things were risky about a particular flight and how to manage it. Uh, that's that's one of the biggest things that I gained out of getting my out of getting my license. I guess the the difference. I don't know how much did you do. You know, did you study anything before you went out? Because you know, when I first got in a plane, I knew what all the gauges were for the most part. Um, I knew the basics of flight. I had studied a bunch of this stuff growing up. So I knew so much about the aircraft, about what I was getting into, about what was going on, that I think it was just the excitement of finally getting a chance to actually do it. Um, so it was more of an excitement thing there. So I'm kind of curious as to, like, what did you do before you went up to that Discover flight? Did you have a history of growing up doing that kind of stuff? I, I did not. Uh, and so it was really unfamiliar. Uh, everything from... 
you know, the pre-flight and, you know, why are we, why do we have to look to figure out if the prop is in good shape? Shouldn't it be in good shape? (laughs) Yeah. What's that all about? Why am I looking to see if there's an alternator belt? Why should that even be a question? Mm -hmm. Um, Anything from there to, yeah, doing the radio work um, to, you know, what is that all about? And, and this just seems so foreign that first time. Um, it, it, it was difficult to go back. You know, I don't mind admitting that it, it, it was a challenge to, to overcome, but you know, you, you get through it or you don't. And if you do get through it, you find there's a lot of reward to it. That's, that's what I would say to, uh, that perspective student pilot who's thinking about getting started with the lessons. Yeah, I would bet more oh, yeah. more often than not the the people who start lessons and don't finish isn't because they didn't enjoy it. Something else came up or money ran out or whatever, but it probably more often than not wasn't because they didn't enjoy it or they were afraid of it the whole time. I um sounds like more people, you know, are a little afraid of it at first and then once they get there like they're just so you know, they just start grinning ear to ear or whatever and just enjoy it more often than not. And the best thing you can do if you're in a situation where you can't fly all the time or you're kind of getting out of it for whatever reason, you have a bad instructor or whatnot, listening to podcasts and talking to pilots on Twitter is enough to turn that around and have you go to another flight school yes. or something or work through it because that's what got me through all the downtime to actually come back and finish and keep going. And it's what's getting me to come back again, even though, you know, I may not have all the money I need right now to get back into flying, but I'm going to make it happen because I'm surrounding myself with aviation and people who are like, this is awesome. And then you kind of work through those hard times and then you're like, holy crap, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the social media thing definitely helped me to get through listening to podcasts uh, like Bill Will. Uh, Bill Williams, uh, even though he he hasn't finished uh, getting all of his out the door yet, uh, just listening to people going through the process and talking about what it was like for them makes it seem a lot less um, uh, a lot less lonely. You know, I, I did. You know, I, I'm a middle aged family guy, and and so when I'm done with uh, my lessons, it's immediately get in the car and and go off and do whatever is next. There's no hanging out at the airport and kind of building that community. And so I relied on the social media crowd to, uh, to supply some of that community for me and, and really hear other people talking about what they went through and the struggles and, and what was easy and what was hard and what the gotchas were. And that, that really made a big difference for me. And that's what got me into doing podcasting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So I think that's uh, about it. We can put a wrap. I think that is. Um, so I guess uh, real quick, we'll uh, go around and just uh, say where we can find each of us. Um, Chris, let's we'll start with you. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, cholubaz, that's C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z, as well as you can find my YouTube videos under that same uh, name. Uh, you can email me at chris at inthepatternpodcast.com. Uh, also, since uh, Mark is, uh, had to jump out a little early... Uh, I'd like to say that uh, you can reach him at marketinthepatternpodcast.com. That's student pilot Mark on Twitter. That's a student pilot without the vowels. Sierra Tango Delta November Tango Pilot Mark. Cool. And uh, Brad? 
Uh, again, I'm Brad Kane. You can reach me via email at brad at inthepatternpodcast.com. On Twitter, Brad Kane. Uh, my transponder is Kane, and Google Plus is Brad Kane. And Kane is spelled just like it sounds, Kilo Oscar Echo Hotel November. Oh, and I'm uh, John Conway. You can reach me at john at inthepatternpodcast.com. On uh, Twitter, my transponder at Pilot Conway, and on Google Plus is John L. Conway the Fourth. That's IV. And uh, you can reach all of us on the podcast at podcastinthepatternpodcast.com. We're on our website at uh, www.inthepatternpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter and Google Plus as In the Pattern, and we also have a my transponder group called In the Pattern Podcast. Uh, finally, you can call us and leave a voicemail at seven zero seven PCast zero one. That's 707 Papa Charlie Alpha Sierra Tango at 01. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, I guess that uh, wraps up this episode, uh, episode 22 of the Independent Podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening, and remember make left traffic your clear to the option. Classic Amber just ran dry, and uh, my problem is, is that I got a Line and Kugel's Spring Sampler Pack, and it has Honeywise, Classic Amber, 1880 Bach, and Red Lager, and I don't know which one to get next. You guys talk amongst yourself. I'll go try and sort that out. Be right back. <laughs> say, in, say intentions. Oh, wrong one. Sorry. I never hit the wrong one. Anywho, to your daughter. I'm back. 1880 Bach 1. Mm. So I'd been aching to go fly, and my archer... uh, Okay, I think we have Chris back. Uh, Yeah. Okay. We're negative on Conway. Now we need John. Oh my gosh. Technology. Who knew it would be so hard to use? This is funny. If it was easy to use, I wouldn't have a house. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There he is. Conway. So it just started raining. Did you drive to Nantucket? (laughs) I'm right next to a cell tower. Well, there's your problem. Yeah. You have overwattage. It it just started raining, so. I don't know if you can hear it at all. No. But that sucks. We might have to get this equipment back in the house at some point. Yep. Emergency landings are a lot easier. Are they? Oh. Yeah, because you can figure out where you're looking to find. You faded away, John. Are you there? Oh. Did we lose him again? Yeah, no, John, no, John please don't run away. We lost Mark. Oh. Not me. Come on, LTE. <laughs> hey, it's...
It's actually pouring here right now. Yeah. Um, somebody's making a whole bunch of noise. <laughs> Are you clicking a ballpoint pen 50 times a minute, Brad? <laughs> nope. No, okay. Uh, he's on Twitter at Student Pilot Mike. That's uh, Student Pilot Mike. What am I doing? 